Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Have you heard the one about the wealthy stockbroker and the dentist? Did you hear that one? Well, there was one time this wealthy stockbroker and he went to a dentist and he was inquiring about teeth removal. He wanted to get some teeth removed. And so we got a quote from the dentist. Also, the dentist, realizing that he's dealing with a wealthy stockbroker, he says, all right, listen, I'm going to tell you the deal that we can organize for you. Um, $1,500 per tooth. But we are going to get an anesthetist from the hospital, two very specialized nurses. They're going to come in. They're going to assist me. It's going to be pain-free. It is going to be blood-free. And it's going to cost you $1,500 a tooth. Now, the wealthy stockbroker had a look at the dentist, looked him up and down, and said, uh, yeah, look, that's a little bit more than what I'm willing to pay. Can you do me a better deal? Can you sharpen the pencil? So the dentist says, all right, look, uh, I'll tell you what I can do. Uh, what, what I can do is reduce the price. Um, you're not going to get the anaesthetist. I'll, I'll do that myself. We won't get the nurses. I'll take care of that. There'll be a little bit of blood. There might be a little bit of pain. You'll do it in my chair. Um, and that'll only cost you $500, but it's got to be $500 cash straight to me per tooth. The wealthy stockbroker at this point, uh, again, looks him up and down. He says, listen, uh, that's still a bit too much. I need you to sharpen the pencil even more. At this point, the dentist starts to get a little bit frustrated. He knows he's dealing with a wealthy stockbroker. And as he looks at the man, he goes, look, I'll tell you what I can do for you. I can reduce the price for you. I'll, I'll, I'll do it myself, but I'll have to go to Bunnings, buy some pliers. There will be a lot of blood. There will be a lot of pain. In fact, I will take great joy in removing every tooth that you need, and I'll do it for you for $100 per tooth. The wealthy stockbroker says, that is a fantastic deal. Can you book my wife in next Thursday, please? It's interesting how money causes us to think and act so differently. And some of us are infatuated with money, getting more money, some of us um, really find our source of hope, our strength, our even love when it comes to money and even material goods. Sometimes we prioritize and put money before people. And the Lord Jesus addresses this time and time and time again. You heard Pastor Jean-Luc talk about our faith offering coming up, which is a great opportunity. Um, I, I would submit that when it comes to giving of our finances or even parting with our materials, um, we can often uh, push back on that in our hearts. Oh, I can't afford that or uh, I don't want to do that or now's the wrong time. For other people, we get so excited about the opportunity to give. We've seen the faithfulness of God over the years. But Jesus talks about material wealth and possessions so many times in the Bible. In fact, it's not just Jesus that refers to it. See, the whole book, the whole book, this incredible book talks about Material, wealth, and possession time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. And in fact, it's less about 
money. It's less about wealth. It's less about possessions. But it is about the heart, as you heard this morning. I want to turn our attention to um, something that Paul wrote. Actually, a few things that Paul wrote, but particularly something that Paul wrote in his first letter to Timothy. So if you can, pull your Bibles out to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to see Paul address something here connected to wealth. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So we just pause there, that godliness is a means of gain. That is, to be godly, to appear holy, and try to get stuff from that as a result of that. But then he addresses further. He says, but, there's a big but there, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This morning, my assignment is to share a message titled, When is enough enough? When is enough enough? Paul addresses a young pastor and he says something very simply that there is great gain with godliness that has contentment. Godliness that has contentment. What is it to be content? What what does that mean to be content? to not be in lack, to have a sense of fulfillment or even satisfaction. Contentment, contentment. That word actually is autorkia, which speaks to a state of being inside that regardless of what happens on the outside, I'm good. I'm happy, I'm fulfilled, I'm satisfied. I'm not bothered by external circumstances. So he's saying here, godliness with contentment is great great gain. Meaning, to live a godly life with a disregard for what happens on the outside so much that it doesn't disrupt what's happening on the inside. That is extraordinarily gainful. 
The world will endeavor to disciple you. Be specific now. Satan will try to disciple us through the world, systems, structures, people, relationships, you name it, away from Christ to cause us to experience discontent. Discontent. To not be happy, to not be fulfilled, to always want more, to say you don't have enough, that you're not enough. But I've got a newsflash. When we have Jesus, <laughs> more than enough is what we have. Absolutely more than enough. So my question perhaps this morning is, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with life? Are you satisfied with you? Or is there something in you, an unhealthy craving to want more, to need more? I just need more money. I need more people to like me. I need more likes on my Facebook. I need more retweets on my Tweet face, I need more affirmation. I need more acclamation. I need more respect. I need a bigger house. I need more in the super. I need more children. An unhealthy craving. Am I the only one that sometimes feels the pull in that direction? If I could just... Have a little bit more. That flies in the face of what Paul's saying. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. That's pretty confronting. In psychology, they say that there are three things that tend to uh, facilitate an unhealthy discontent in us. The first thing they say could be boredom. We're just bored. We're bored. And in our boredom, not knowing what to do, we lack purpose, and so we just feel that we need more. Another aspect, they say, might be negativity bias. Constantly being critical, looking at what we don't have, or how bad a situation is. Another one is continual rumination, continually thinking, thinking on things. I'd submit to you that discontent at its heart is when we take our eyes off God and we don't see His fullness. Simply put, discontent is sin. Discontent is sin. We can jazz it up as much as we want and we can say we're victims of the past or we can say, no, we're products of the cross and because of what Jesus has done and who He is, we're good. Though the world will again endeavor to disciple us away from Christ, and try to distract us that he is enough. We've got to be really careful to not catch this disease of discontent. Be very careful to not catch the disease of discontent. That says, I, I, I need more, my precious, I need more. If I could only... And if we ever do catch that disease, have a guess what the antidote is? It's Jesus. To avoid the disease, take the vaccine of Jesus, the vaccine that actually does work. Jeez, I've got more applause for that than anything. 
is what Benjamin Franklin says. He says that content makes poor men rich. Discontent makes rich men poor. That's Benjamin Franklin on your Benny. Discontent is, discontent is a sin because it denies the right of God to do with us as he wills. It also ignores the promise that God will never, never allow us to suffer more than we're able. It also fails to believe that God's best is his best for us. I find myself struggling at times wallowing in my sorrows when I take my eyes off him and understand that in his sovereignty and in his providence, he's got it all sorted out. Jesus is not overly concerned with the ways of the world at the moment. He's absolutely cool, calm, collected, chilling out, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's done all he needs to do. And I am sitting in him right now where he is I am so a heart of discontentment and lack of contentment takes my eyes off that reality and I must trust God that when we say that God works all things out together for good is it true or not I got to trust that so I can't let the situations around about me or what people say what they do what they what they think, I can't let that, I can't lack my apparent, I can't allow my apparent lack to stop me from trusting and hoping and finding my refuge in Jesus. He is all I need. And I don't want to go along with the ways of the world, the advertising, the marketing that's constantly popping up. I'm talking to my children about this all the time. Be careful about those ads. Be careful about those little YouTube shorts. Be careful because they're, they're, they're teaching you that you need more things, that, that, that you're not enough. And I was talking to one of my children recently, and when they look at photos of themselves, they're like, oh, I, I, I don't like how I look in that photo. I, I, I'm, I'm not that pretty. I'm not. And I just have to keep saying to them, they're at that age now, you're beautiful as you are. As you are. But this comparison thing, oh, but that person's got a better life than me. That person's got better clothes than me. Or that person's taller than me. That person's funnier than me. That person's prettier than me. That person's X, Y, Z is going to steal the joy if we allow the comparison to get in the way. If you want to compare yourself to anyone, let it be Jesus. Then we're all caught lacking. But as we look to Jesus, we know that we have him entirely. So be careful not to catch the disease of discontent. Philippians 4 verse 10 to 13, Paul, same writer, says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. There my, I, in my Bible, I've circled three words there. Learned, whatever, content. I have learned in whatever situation, not just the convenient ones, 
I have learned to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then it says, the verse we like to quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So there's a learning that goes on here. I have learned it. Contentment is not just when you're on the top of the mountain, and it's not just when you're in the valley low. It's all the time. It's, it's every time. You, you don't need everything to be worked out before you're content. It's not, it's not, oh, at the end, once this year's out of the way and my, my New Year's resolution is in play, or once I get to that year, <laughs> that milestone of that age, when I'm 21, when I'm 25, when I'm 40, I'm 50, oh, once the children are out from home, oh, oh, oh I'll be so good. Or once I get that new job, which pays better, or what, 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 once I get that new house, which is a little bit bigger or, or tidier or in a better area, or if only once I get to that place, then I'll be better. Any and every circumstance, we can learn it. Because remember, contentment is irrespective of what happens out there. It's about what happens in here. So there are no excuses for me. But through those circumstances, I trust the Holy Spirit to teach me that He is with me. And as He is with me, I'm good. This is what Adam Clark says. Real contentment isn't too difficult for those whose real home is heaven. It requires but little of this world's goods to satisfy a man who feels himself to be a citizen of another country and knows that this is not his rest. So then we can say that contentment is a state of rest in Christ Jesus himself. No matter what happens to us or around us, we're at peace in and with Him. So it's not so much what you have, it's whom you have. We have everything we need for life and godliness because we have Him. So because my heart is in Him, because I love Him, I can find true contentment. But when my heart and my love is placed somewhere else, I struggle. And I wonder, here's a question perhaps. Uh, have you found yourself looking for love in all the wrong places? Are you looking for love in the, all the wrong places? Is it a, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend? And I'm talking about an unhealthy love. Or a child, perhaps. And I'm talking about an unhealthy love. It's good to love your child. <clears throat> or your spouse. It's good to love them. But is it an unhealthy love? Have you, have you placed all your refuge, your hope, your dreams in that relationship or that person? Because I'm here to tell you, you will be let down. It's going to happen. Don't go looking for it. But no, nobody can be faithful to you like Jesus can. Nobody. In some way, shape, or form, it'll happen. Where I'm going to let you down. People will let you down, but there's someone who won't. That's the mighty risen king. 
do you place your love, your hope, your refuge? Are you looking for love in the places of finances? Again, your bank balance. Or your material possessions. In fact, where it says here, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not just talking about money. It's not just about money. The word there, the root word there is mammonas, which is to do with resources and possessions. It's the love of those things. It's not money itself or possessions itself. It's the love of those things. That's the danger. Money, money for some of, some, some of us, money is money. Who cares what it is? It's a means to bless. It's a means uh, to serve. It's a means to pay. It's just a means. It's not a master. It's a servant. But for some of us, perhaps, money is our master. And what a dominating, domineering master it is, money. We've got to make a decision when it comes to our relationship with money or our possessions. Are we going to tell it what to do and tell it where to go? Or is it going to tell us what to do and where to go? It's a terrible master, but can be a brilliant servant. We have but one master. And our resources, in any case, belongs to him. So we happen to be just stewards and caretakers. So what, why do I sometimes struggle with the love of those things? It's because at times I've placed an unhealthy love or an unhealthy affection, thinking somehow that to get more of those possessions or more of those finances or more of those resources, somehow I'd feel better. It's rubbish. See, we live in a different economy, not the world economy. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And the world economy is going belly up. It just is. I want to trust in God's economy. Which means I trust in Him. So don't love money. More money? It's not the solution. When I was younger, I didn't have a lot of money growing up. And I thought if I just had more money, I'd be a lot happier. Not true. I thought, I'm just, I, I don't know what I'm going to study at university. But I just want lots of money out of it. I thought, surely it'll either be the lawyer, the doctor, or the engineer somehow. And if I just study in one of those professions, I'll get good money. And then I thought, I'll buy my mum a house. I remember telling my mum, well, I'm going to buy you a house one day, mum. As it turns out, I studied one of those three professions, and I'm not working in any of them, <laughs> and I'm a pastor. Thank you, Jesus. More money won't fix it. Did I tell you the one about the, uh, the very successful industrialist at the beach? There was a very successful industrialist who was at the beach, and he saw a lazy fisherman relaxing by his boat on the beach. He had done his fishing for the day early in the morning. The industrialist could see that he'd caught some fish, but it was peak time to do some more fishing. So he says to the bloke, hey, mate, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I've, I've caught all my fish for today. He goes, well, why don't you get out there and catch some more? Plenty of fish out there today. The industrialist thinking like, you know, a businessman looking to make 
good money. And the guy, the fisherman on the, I think his name was Trev. He's a really good fisherman. <laughs> he said, mate, I'm just relaxing, having a great time. I've already caught the fish for today. The industrial says, what, you're being lazy. Get out there and catch some more because if you catch some more, you can sell that. And the guy said, what do I want to catch more fish and then sell it for? The industrial says, well, if you sell it, you obviously get more money. You can buy a bigger boat. You get better nets, better equipment. You can go out even deeper and you can catch more fish. And as you catch more fish, you can put on more fishermen. You could really grow a, a great successful company and you'll be set. Fisherman says, and then what? The industrial says, well, then, then you can relax. You can enjoy life. <laughs> oh, kind of like what I'm doing right now. It's interesting how the world, again, would try to put these pressures and expectations on us. And can I just say, in the church, we can often be just as guilty of this discontent, this lack of fulfillment, this dissatisfaction. But at some point, we're going to have to ask ourselves a question. Is he enough? When is enough? Enough. Do I really need that new phone with a built-in projector? <laughs> do, I, do I really need that, that shirt that converts itself into a puffer jacket at the flick of a switch? Do I really need that? Do I need that new house that turns into a rocket ship. I know, I mean, I, I love it, but do I need that? Now, who says that you need to get a job that pays more? Who says your next job needs to pay more? Who says? Who tells you that? So what if your next job pays less? Who tells you that you need more? We don't need to give in to that. If we could just learn the secret of contentment, written by a man who spent so much time in prison, this is Paul the Apostle. Remember Paul the Apostle? He, um, in and out of prison, he was beaten, he was harassed, he often didn't have a place to stay, at times didn't have clothing, he didn't eat at times. He himself did learn that no matter what, because he had Jesus, he had all he needed. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will ne never leave you nor forsake you. That's an important verse. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He has, that is a promise. He will never leave you or forsake you. Perhaps that's a word for someone this morning. No matter what you feel about yourself, whatever you feel your crimes are, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is a good God and He's better than you think He is. Proverbs 23, 4. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. So encouragement, be careful not to catch the disease of discontent. Stop looking for love in all the wrong places. But finally, 
embrace and experience your fullness found in his fullness. Your fullness is found in his fullness. We have all we need because of him. In Ephesians 3, verse uh, 14 through to 19, but I'll just go uh, to verse 18 and 19 in a second. Imagine this, Paul writes this again. He's, uh, he's under arrest and he says, for this reason I throw myself down on my knees and I pray. And, and we see an incredible prayer that he gives in this moment. He prays a number of things. In verse 18 he says, um, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and watch this and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God that you will know that you would be filled with the fullness of God let's go to chapter 6 check this out Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 and 14 it says, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Oh, I love that. What he's saying here, you've you got to understand this. <laughs> that basically that we will grow up to the measure of the fullness of him so that we, we, we wouldn't be tossed about by all these new teachings, these new doctrines. Oh my word. It's, it's like every week I hear another new doctrine, which is really, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just a different form. And so how, how, do, how do I know what's, what, what's right and what's not? I pick this thing up and I line it up with, with this. And, and I tell you what, this, this provides an incredible framework if someone tries to put something in the house and the house doesn't sit within the framework of Scripture, it doesn't belong in the house. I don't care who you are or where you're from, how many followers, followers you've got, how big your church is, I don't give a rip. If it's not in alignment with this book, I'm sorry, you're wasting my time. I have got to make sure that what I say, to the best of my ability, falls within the framework of Scripture, because I have to give an account. And I care more about what He has to say about what I've said and done than you liking me and not. Every wind of doctrine. Friends, come on. Sometimes we're going to turn that idiot box off. Be careful what sermons you're feeding yourself. Don't just blindly accept and chew on what someone else is saying. Get your own Bible out. Ask Holy Spirit for yourself. And say, God, you teach me. I need you to be my teacher. And I'm not against other commentaries. I'm not against other preachers. I practice all of those things. But test it and grow up. All right. Colossians 1.19 for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Where was the fullness of God pleased to dwell? In whom? In him, in Jesus. Let's read on. One more, Colossians 2 verse 9 to 10. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Verse 10, you've got to know this and know it good. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. You have been brought to fullness in Christ. He is the head over every power and authority. 
So all fullness is in Jesus, everything, all that's required, all that's needed. And now because I have Jesus, I have fullness. So I come to embrace and experience that fullness, knowing that it comes from His fullness. Now, if it's something we've already got, why do we struggle to experience it? What is it that gets in the way? What is it in my, in my mind? Is it something from the past? Is it trauma? Is it pain? Is it, is, it, is it something, poor theology that I've been taught from yesteryear? I don't know what it is. We've got to work that out with the Holy Spirit. And whatever it is, remember, we've got to bring it under the authority of Jesus because He is head over all. He is head of the church. It must bow the knee. So I have to work with Holy Spirit. Lord, teach me, what are those hindrances? Why have I put my love in the wrong places? Lord, what is it? What, what, why, am, why am I feeling uh, a discontent there? What is going on? Help me to, to, to find my greatest satisfaction and fulfillment in you. John Piper says in his book, Desiring God, that, we, uh, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So God gets the glory as I experience satisfaction in Him. So the fullness comes from Him. Let me finish with this illustration. Uh, thanks, Mr. Lim. Very simple illustration. So we come to Jesus as an empty vessel. In fact, a broken one. So we come to Jesus in this way, and very simply, we have, in a sense, Christ Jesus himself. And he fills us, and we ha we're actually overflowing. That's where we are. We're overflowing. That's us. And if you ever are in doubt, you need to know that you overflow. I don't care about the water. I knew this was going to happen. I see some people grimacing. It's all over my shoes. It, it's all over my... It, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter. This is you, my friends. And this is me. We are overflowing. We have all we need for life and godliness. In Him, because of Him, we're full. Our cup overflows. We heard Pastor Jean-Luc read from Psalm 23. I had that in my notes. I'm going to finish with that today. The Lord is my shepherd. It says, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. Let me, let me pull it out here. And the water's getting all over my Bible from my fingers. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Think about that. We have David who is a shepherd. And he is giving us a word picture. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If that's not a picture of satisfaction and contentment, 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, we sit under a shepherd who's incredible. (laughs) He's the leader. He's the comforter. He's the protector. He's the provider. It's, It's him. I follow him. And then goodness and mercy follows me. I follow him. And so I put the call out for us today, brothers and sisters, that if you lack an awareness that he is enough, come to him again. We're going to finish with the time of communion just now. And I want us to remember together He is enough. When is enough enough for you? When is enough enough? When we embrace the reality that King Jesus is enough. Would you stand up with me, please? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We are reminded that you are enough. We lack nothing. Lord, would you help us to find again a renewed sense of contentment and satisfaction in you, in Jesus. Lord, where we have placed our hope our refuge, our love in places outside of you where it's idolatrous. Lord, we are, we are led by your Spirit into repentance just now. And we say we are sorry for that. But Lord, would you renew, in a sense, our love for you, a zeal for you. And even now as we come around table to um, have some bread and juice. We remember what you've done for us. I'm going to ask the stewards if you would just hand out, please, just a bit of bread, a bit of juice. And uh, don't take it just yet. We'll do it together. Yeah, if we can get some to the children at the back as well, that'd be great. I ask the question of you, if you're comfortable, is God enough for you? Is God enough? Is He really enough for you? 
And I, um, I invite us to sit with Holy Spirit just now. And work that out. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name asking that very question. Are you enough? Help us realize that you are more than enough. That our fullness comes from your fullness. Lord, we consider the cross. It's only because of the cross that we can see the full picture, the beauty of your goodness. You really are a good God. And we ask this morning as we remember you and we consider what you've done for us. Lord, would you help us posture our hearts to you to say thank you for the cross. Help us find our contentment and our fulfillment and our satisfaction in you. We thank you, Lord, for the broken body that was broken on our behalf. We thank you for the blood that was shed on our behalf, the covenant of grace. As a family now, we take a moment to remember you and say thank you. As you're ready, church, why don't you take the bread and and enjoy that. Say, Lord, you are enough for me. You are enough. You are good. You are enough. Come on, why don't you take that now? Following that, we come to him with just a bit of juice. And Father, with this juice again, we remember the blood that was lost, that was shed for us. You poured out your life as a ransom for many, which included us. You are more than enough. You are more than enough. Lord, if there are parts of our hearts, our lives, our souls, where there needs to be a calibration take place, a realignment to you. Thank you, Lord. We thank you. Let's drink together. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.